You are listening to Pandora's Box Radio with Kalia LaRoche. For more information about my products and services, counseling, coaching, hypnotherapy, books, and audios, please visit NarcissismFree.com or PathBackToSelf.com. Hello, everyone. This is Kalia. And I want to talk today about how to stop the obsession. Now, most people coming out of narcissistic abuse go through a period of time in which they are completely obsessed and ruminating on that narcissistic person. Well, I talked in my last episode about how I was able to move beyond narcissistic abuse by stopping the focus on it, because that's what I did for a living. And I was always focused on it. So it was about really stopping that attraction, that magnet, you know, we attract what we think about or what we focus on. And because I was always focused on narcissistic abuse, I tended to continue to bring narcissistic people into my life and I started changing my focus. Now, it doesn't mean I stopped taking care of people and, and caring for people and working with people that are coming out of narcissistic abuse. It's just that wasn't my focus anymore. So when we do like a ton of podcasts on the narcissist and, um, you know, focusing on that person and what they do and what character traits are and things like that then our energy is focused on that person. And I think it's really important to understand that when you first come out of a relationship, for example, or even if even if it's a family member that has always been narcissistic, but you're just now realizing it because you're doing a ton of research. And so you're watching all those videos and um, reading all those articles on what a narcissist is and what characteristics they have. And as a result, you're, you're able to say, Hey, Hey, that's that person, or that's my ex, or that's my parent, or, you know, you're able to identify it. So though, you know, that, that brief short-term focus on gathering information about a narcissist is really important because you need to know what you're dealing with. But then once you understand what you're dealing with, the tendency is to continue to hyper-focus on the narcissist. And, and it can bring short-term relief in a way that a glass of wine might bring short-term relief to the alcoholic, but it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't help the alcoholic to stop being an alcoholic, right? So in order for that person to stop being an alcoholic, they have to stop drinking the Kool-Aid or the wine or whatever it is that they're drinking. Well, it's the same thing when you're trying to recover from narcissistic abuses. You cannot stay focused on the narcissist and what a narcissist does and who a narcissist is and what a narcissist relationship with the new person is. And, you know, we can... 
we can go down that rabbit hole for months and months and months and not get any better. And we find ourselves to be obsessed and hyper focused and it does not feel good. It's very painful. A lot of people that have come to me now, I've been working in the field of narcissistic abuse for 20 years. So I've seen a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people and they come to me with the number one problem being hyper-focus and obsession with that narcissistic person, which causes a lot of pain. And so they, they might say, I'm just in so much pain. I can't get over it. I can't get beyond it. And the biggest pain is actually the obsession, the hyper-focus, the ruminating. They can't get that person out of their head. It's like that person's possessed them. It's like they've taken up root in their psyche and they can't get them out of their head. And I do explain that this is a type of addiction. So that obsessive compulsive ruminating energy is a type of addiction that the more that we feed it, the more we want to feed it. And it keeps that obsession and that ruminating alive. So how can we get beyond it? And I said quite simply in my last video, my last podcast, that you change your focus and focus on something that makes you feel good, that makes you happy, that makes you feel positive in your life. And it's easier said than done. I'm going to come right out with it. It's easier said than done. It's not just, hey, I'm going to just change my focus. Oh, yes, that solves all my problems. It's not so easy because you're dealing with an addictive mindset. So that person that decides they're going to quit drinking wine because they have a problem with alcohol isn't going to just say, hey, I'm going to just quit drinking. It's not that simple. There's a lot of work when you're addicted to something. You have to deal with what's going on under the surface that makes you reach for that glass of wine instead of dealing with what's going on underneath the surface. So when it comes to the obsession after narcissistic abuse that normally has its roots in PTSD, there's been a trauma. And most victims, for lack of a better word, of narcissistic abuse have been traumatized. They're in deep pain from the trauma. And I mean, there's tons of reasons we could get into in why that trauma happens, but it's usually your belief system takes a really huge hit. So you believe one thing about this person that he really does care about you, really loves you, and just as having some issues, but that person is is loyal and faithful and would be there for you and um, cares about you. Well, normally when we wake up from the dream that we had with that narcissistic person, it's a huge slap in the face because we 
realize that person didn't really care. That the whole relationship was in my head or I believed things were true that weren't true. And that can cause some serious trauma, especially when the way that that narcissistic person treats you is so horrific, you can't even imagine the devaluing and the discarding and things like that that happen at the end of a relationship or even during a relationship can be so traumatic. And post-traumatic stress disorder is after the trauma. It's post-trauma. So you've already had the trauma. But oftentimes when we're in the middle of that trauma, we are in survival mode. So if, say, you're driving down the road and you hit a patch of ice and your car starts to spin, at that point while your car is spinning, you're in survival mode. You're just trying to negotiate the spin so that you can save your life so you don't go off the road or hit another car or something like that. So you are so hyper-focused on getting out of that situation that you haven't really experienced the trauma yet. But let's say finally you get to a safe place and you're sitting there in your car and your car is at a stop and you're going, oh my God, oh my God, that was so close. Then the after effects start to come in. Then you start to really feel your heart's racing and you really kind of do a check with your body and you're a little freaked out and traumatized and um you know, you just want to get out of your car and stop driving. It's it's a very intense situation. So it's similar with the trauma that happens with narcissistic abuses. You don't typically notice how traumatized you are while it's happening. It's after. That's when you really start to notice the effects. So that's why we call it post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is obsession and rumination. And so you're dealing with a heightened state of anxiety, which is fear. And that fear is so intense, it's actually life and death kind of fear that I'm afraid I won't survive. I'm afraid that I'm not going to get through this. And that that fear goes into a lot of layers too. So there's a lot of layers that we have to deal with. We have to deal, it's mostly this, this intense shame and feelings of inadequacy and feelings of worthlessness that are the fear behind the anxiety and the post-traumatic stress. So most people, and I say most people going through narcissistic abuse, they are not necessarily afraid that that person's going to kill them or physically hurt them. That's not the fear. The fear is maybe they're right about me being worthless, 
Maybe they're right that it was all my fault, that I'm difficult, that I'm unlovable, that nobody else would want me, that I have no value. And that is that core shame and that core sense of worthlessness that's kind of coming up from the wells that might have been planted as seeds in early childhood, but are really coming to a head right now. This fear that you're not enough, this fear that you're worthless, this fear that you have value, this fear that nobody would want you, this fear that nobody likes you, because once again, that is tied into our survival. If we go all the way back to childhood and we realize if, if our parents abandon us, we wouldn't survive. We know that on some level. And so that gets carried forward. And when you have somebody that abandons you emotionally, physically, um, in any other way, in such a horrible manner, with a, you, you have no value to me. I don't love you. I don't care about you. I never did. You are worthless. You are a piece of crap. Whatever it is they say about you, the fear is what if it's true? What if I really don't have any value? What if I really don't matter? What if I'm really not lovable? And then your mind goes searching for validation that you're not lovable. It doesn't go searching for validation that you are. It's like, oh, yes, I remember this other relationship and how this happened. Or I remember when my parent told me this. Or I remember when my best friend told me I'd probably never find love because of this. You know, and your mind starts searching for evidence that it's true what that person you loved so much said about you. And the fear is that you're inadequate, that you're unworthy, that you're never going to amount to anything, that you'll never find love. And on the contrary, that person's off in his new relationship already or her new relationship already, apparently, according to social media, doing great. So while well, that person went out and found love right away and is doing great and they're being worshipped and adored and valued and they've got all their friends liking their posts and I'm here in this horrific pain feeling like the worthless the most worthless piece of crap on the planet and that comes from our feeling so inadequate and devalued which is at the core of the obsession sometimes that obsession turns into a fantasy so we we get into this obsession slash fantasy where that person returns to us in order to validate our worth and value. That might happen by that person coming back and saying, you know, I didn't mean all those things. You really are the best person I've ever known. You really are so beautiful and lovable, and I think you're great. We might be looking for that in some way for that person to come back and validate us. And, you know, maybe one out of 10 people might get that temporarily, but it's never lasting. And the thing is, is that we can't give our power to somebody outside of ourselves to validate us. It doesn't work. We have to find that value 
in ourselves. And here is where the focus needs to shift. So we're doing some shadow work, some deep shadow work, which is where is the value in me? What is good about me? What is lovable about me? And where is some evidence to support that I'm a good person, that I'm lovable, that I'm valuable? And we start focusing on that and also on our previous passions. What have I always loved to do? How can I focus more on that? You know, do I like to write? Do I like to travel? Do I like to garden? What is it that your previous passions were prior to that person? What did you used to love to do? And I understand that you often, when you're going through this post-traumatic stress disorder, you don't feel very passionate. You don't feel inspired. You don't feel motivated. There's a lack of energy. But the way you're going to get the energy back is by bringing your focus to the things that you do like and do love to do. Now, I know when I was going through it, and I've gone through this several times, that PTSD came back. So I was feeling good about myself. Then I met another narcissist who basically totally deflated and devalued me and made me feel crappy about myself. And even though I I have a lot of knowledge and information, those, those core wounds go very deep. They're very personal. And they can come and go. And that's why when I talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, I say it never truly leaves. It just gets resurrected and resurrected and resurrected. So if we have another situation that triggers us, then that PTSD may just come screaming back to the forefront in our lives. And that's what happened to me as I could be going along feeling great and having good confidence and on top of my game and then get taken down and have to remind myself that I'm a good person, that I have value, that I'm lovable. And you know, the last time that I was in that obsessive mode I could see myself over here wanting to hyper-focus and obsess about this person who, who invalidated me and my worth. But what I did is I kept my focus on what I was creating in my life now. I kept it on my work. I kept it on my writing. I kept it on the things that mattered to me. And so there'd be this kind of um, energy over here trying to get my attention but I wouldn't give it my attention. I'd keep bringing myself back and focusing on what mattered here and now. So there was always kind of that anxiety in the gut that is tied to that thing over here that's tied to that thing over here trying to get our attention. And I would try to just calm that energy in my gut by saying, it's okay, you're okay. Everything's okay. Because that energy is that anxiety, that the fear is in your own inadequacy. So when you self-soothe and you keep saying you're okay, it's okay, you are good, you are lovable, you are enough, 
that person's behavior had nothing to do with you. It wasn't about you. It was about them. And they're taking that with them, even though it doesn't appear that way on the outside. So we have to kind of take our attention off what things appear to be on the outside. Oh, they're having a happy life. They've got a great new relationship. I'm the one suffering. I'm the one that has nothing. They've got everything. We've got to quit believing the lie because that's just all a lie. That person is inwardly a miserable person. And even though they try to make it look like life is great, at the end of the day, whoever they're sitting there with, at the end of the day, life is not great. And that new person is next. And we all know that the new person is next in line to be beat up and devalued. At least that's not you anymore. You can start bringing your focus back to yourself, building yourself up, focusing on what you love to do and chop wood and carry water. So you may not feel like going for a walk, but go for a walk anyway. You may not feel like eating a good meal, but make yourself a good meal anyway. Do the things that you know are building, rebuilding for you, even if you don't feel like it. Because if we don't have energy, we need to do the things that are going to give us energy, even if we don't feel like it. So eating well, exercising, breathing, seeing friends, being social, you don't have to do it all the time, but just make sure you do it some. Now, you may never need to walk every day. That's one thing I made myself do. Get out there and walk every day. I needed that exercise. Eating right, I needed that to feel more energetic. If you're eating a bunch of crap and drinking and drugging or whatever it is that you're trying to use to get through, it's just going to make things worse. You've got to do what's going to build your energy and make you feel better. So focusing on what is going to make you feel better. Focus on what you do love or what you did love. Even if you don't really feel that passion for it right now, bring it back, start focusing on it and you will begin to get beyond this. Everybody that I've worked with eventually stops obsessing. And you will too. That obsession doesn't go on forever. It feels like it goes on forever. But I'm giving you some tools today on things you can do to make it go a lot quicker. I'll also tell you that most people that stop obsessing, that's when they start living their life again. It's not, I stop obsessing, therefore I live my life again. No, it's I live my life again, therefore I stop obsessing. I start focusing on the things I want to do with my life. Therefore, I stop obsessing. So you've got to focus on you and your life and what you want to build and what's important to you and do the shadow work for you, which means going inside and looking at those negative feelings that you've been carrying around and work on healing those. And you will move beyond the obsession. So thank you. I hope this has been helpful. If you need some help working through this, 
I offer coaching, spiritual counseling, clinical hypnotherapy, and a lot of tools to help you to get there. If you don't feel like you can afford counseling right now, there are alternatives. I've got a website called Inner Transformations, which is inner, inner, hyphen, transformations.com, which has a growing catalog of self-hypnosis audios that you can listen to that help to plant seeds in your subconscious mind and help you to feel subconsciously on a subconscious level a lot better about yourself. So you might want to start working with a couple of those audios as well. So thanks again for listening. If you want more on my work about narcissism, you can visit NarcissismFree.com. Have a great day.